0: Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2.
1: We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100
0: social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At
1: LuckyLandslots.com Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Hello and welcome to the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. My name is Craig Hansen. And today I'm joined by Paulie Questel, Manchester United fan, host of the United Happy Hour podcast and contributor to the Busby Babe blog, which is part of the SB Nation family. Paulie often spends his free time obsessing about tactics as it pertains to the club he loves. You can read his tactical analyses on his Substack page at questthoughts.substack.com I'm overjoyed to have him on the show and get his insights today on the Sportacoss Football Stories podcast. Hey Paulie, how you doing?
1: Doing great. Happy to be here.
0: Thanks so much for coming on. It's going to be a real pleasure to speak to you today. I'm Absolutely sure of that. Can't wait to pick your brain on everything tactical, especially when it comes to Manchester United, especially at the start of this season. But before we come on to that, I want to take a little trip down memory lane, as we usually do with our guests. I'm not hearing a thick mank accent there, so I'm assuming that you're not uh, currently in Salford, <laughs> but um, but you're over there in the states. So could you tell us a little bit about the the sort of backstory of when and how? you became a Manchester United supporter.
1: Yeah, uh, it's not the typical story from everybody else. Um, I think like a lot of Americans, I was kind of in, entranced by the sport when the United States made their run in the 2002 World Cup with Len Donovan To when we lost to Germany. And I slowly started getting into the sport after that. I was becoming a teenager, and like most Americans at the time, I just I thought the game was boring. And I started to pay attention to it a bit more. And I started to follow the local team, the, which was at the time, the Metro stars. And within a few months of following them, their goalkeeper, Tim Howard got signed by Manchester United. And I was like, Oh, I know them. I've heard of them. They're big. Uh, that's, that's a pretty big deal. And I said, I'll just start following his career over there. See, make sure he does well, et cetera. And, it was around that time that I moved and we got a new cable package and we had a channel that was showing matches. And so I was like, Oh, Manchester United are on, I'm going to watch for Tim Howard. And then they had this 17 year old kid named Cristiano Ronaldo, who was like the most fun player I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, this sport is not boring. This sport's a lot of fun. And then they, they got Wayne Rooney and the rest was history.
0: Wow, a lot of stuff in there. And you're right, that isn't the typical thing because usually it's it would be someone like Ronaldo that gets someone into it. But for you, it was Tim Howard. It was following Tim Howard. And boy, did he do well. I think he was uh, fantastic for United during those years. Um, and you said that, of course, um, Ronaldo and Rooney piqued your interest. Can you remember any other players at the time who you weren't aware of going in because you went in to sort of follow Tim? Any other players who caught your eye and you really fell in love with during that Kind of uh, budding fandom.
1: Uh, I don't. I can't describe it as anybody that's that I wasn't aware of because I did buy a FIFA video game. I think right before they had signed, so like, I I became a fan right after Beckham got sold. So like I knew who and I knew Beckham who Beckham was, and I was like, oh, he had played for Manchester United, and now Tim Howard is going to play for them. So it was it was cool to put faces to the names that I had seen on this FIFA video game, whether it was venisteroy or skulls or, or gigs. Um, and then as the years ticked by a bit, um, I really, it was really that 07, 08 team that crystallized everything for me. It was that year where I have, I have a lot of friends, um, in the UK and we had, used football as a means of staying in touch uh, i met them over the summer at summer camp and we used it as a means of keeping in touch for over the year they were all you know spurs or arsenal supporters but that 07 08 season was the first year that they introduced me to the world of illegal streams and were like hey you could actually watch every single match and i was like wow i i can this is really cool uh and, and it was that year with tevez and ronaldo and and skulls um that really took it to the next level and then the the next year like you probably hear this not a lot but also a lot because he's that kind of player but like rafael da silva was just so much fun to watch and as soon as yeah. he broke into the team every week i was like looking at the team sheet to be like who's starting at right back why isn't it rafael like i don't care if he's not the best one he's the most fun one i want to watch him play for 90 minutes
0: 100% 100% with you there kind of like not the same exact not not the same career, but like Marcelo, I guess, has his like defensive frailties, and he's kind of he's a bit of a risk, but at the same time, he's just awesome to watch
1: right i'm I'm trying to have fun like I'm waking up at I'm waking up at seven a m on a Saturday morning to watch a game, like I want to have some fun, like show me Raphael,
0: <laughs> yep, and uh, you mentioned that sort of the the weird and wonderful world of illegal streams was that because back then? It was still um, sort of difficult to watch on TV. Was there not as? Did you not get every game, every United game on on US TV back then?
1: We got most, but definitely, but not every. Uh, it was like hit or miss. At you know, at times the early match wouldn't be televised. Um, you know that three o'clock slot where there's four or five matches. It's the luck of the draw which match US television was gonna was going to. Um, Was going to show we went Mm. uh, i remember in the late like what by the time i was at university it was like we had it 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 became a non-issue almost because every week they were televised which was great and then it was only it was the year after ferguson retired that nbc took over the uh contract and their whole platform was we're going to show we're going to make every game available whether it's on television or streaming so since then I'd say uh, and then eventually ESPN got the rights to like the League Cup and since then every game has been available in the United States. So it's been over the last 7 years it's been very easy. But when I was coming into the coming into the game, yeah, you would have to sometimes go, go over some hurdles to be able to watch.
0: Yeah, that's totally normal. I mean, the the as I'm sure you know that the, with the 3pm blackout here in the UK.
1: Right, you can't even watch matches. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So it's it's
0: kind of one of those things where people are still, you know, infecting their PCs with viruses and closing like 400 pop-ups and looking at toxic group chats to try and watch a game. Um but I guess that for for you now it's it's cool, everything's available, which is fantastic, but um, what sort of times then? You mentioned seven AM. There is that sort of the norm. Are you are you having to? What kind of times are you having to get up to watch these games?
1: Uh, the Premier League kicks off at seven thirty in the morning in New York, and then ten o'clock, and then twelve thirty. So it's act- and then on Sunday, eight o'clock or eight thirty, and eleven thirty. So it's actually pretty convenient, especially once you're not in uni anymore and you get older and you naturally wake up earlier. Uh, even when I was in uni, I was, yeah. I was still like a nut job that would go out to the bar until two, three in the morning. And then I'd wake up four yeah. hours later to watch and people would call me nuts. And I was like, yeah, well, this is what I like to do. Uh, it is weird. I agree, but I like to do it. Um, so it, it, these days it's, it's not that bad. And I always say like, uh, the NFL kicks off at one o'clock. So until the, until what was it? Two years ago, they moved that Sunday kickoff from four to four 30. When it was at four o'clock, it was perfect because it ended right before the NFL started. Now there's a little overlap. But I always say like it's the best because you watch the games in the morning and then the American sports come on in the afternoon.
0: Yeah, exactly. Works out really, really well. Um, Do you have sort of a community over there in New York as far as um, Man United fans? Are there fan groups? Are there bars you can go to to watch big games with a bunch of people?
1: Yeah. There's a great, a great community that we have in New York. Uh, I go to the same bar every week, every single match. Um, they're open no matter what. It's funny if you go there at seven for the 7:30 kickoff, like the windows, have they put like garbage bags over the windows so it doesn't look like they're open. Um, so like, and, and every so often you get some new people who are standing outside being like, Oh, they don't look open. And then like, you just walk in and like, you're like, no, nah, the door's unlocked. Just, just come in. Like they just, they can't advertise that they're open right now, um, and there's a good group of people that are there every single week, regardless of the time. Um, and then for the big matches, yeah, it can be, it'll be packed.
0: Okay, that's so cool. So, so have you kind of um, made some friends, I guess, through that? Then you have you have some guys that you know there, you you know their names, you see them every time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good group of lads. I always tell my wife, like, I'm I'm going to see the lads now. Like, bye. Um, Say so, yeah. It's a great so cool. great group of people and and in New York, there's certainly a lot of us and there's it's a great community. we have a we have a Christmas party every year. Um, they a bunch of guys go on trips every year we we try to organize a trip to old Trafford every every season. It's a great group.
0: And have you yourself managed to get to Old Trafford before?
1: Yes, I've been once. Um, I went well uh, 2018 I want to say is I, I went I flew out. And went to the match. They had a midweek match at Wembley against Tottenham. And then they played Huddersfield this, that Saturday at Old Trafford. And I went out and, and did both matches in about four days and came home. And it was a great little trip. Other than the fact that they got their doors blown off of them at, at Wembley.
0: Okay. Um, but, but that must have been um, pretty amazing. Did you go with your um, sort of community from the bar? Or did you go on your own?
1: Yes and no. I went on my own. I went my, one of my friends from uni is a, is a Spurs fan. So he was begging me to go cause he had to go to London for business. And he, well, he kind of arranged his business trip around this Spurs match. And he was like, <laughs> you should come. And he was like, how many times can you go and say you've, you've seen your team play at Wembley. And I was like, look, I'm only going to go if I could also go to Old Trafford. I was like, I can't fly to England and, then not see like only go to an away match where I'm not even sitting with the away fans. And so I it worked out that it was that weekend and that weekend was also the weekend that a bunch of the guys from New York were going, so once I got up to Manchester I was able to meet with them and hang out with them before the match and then and then go in.
0: That is so cool. What do your friends who your friends and family who are not into football who don't know about all this stuff, what do they say when you tell them that you spend, I can't imagine how much money it must cost to go around across the world to go and watch Man United at these two games. Uh, do they do they think you're crazy? How Because it's dedication, right? It's so much dedication. I mean, most like English fans are spoiled, you know, that even if you're from London or whatever, if you're a Man United fan, it's not that hard to get to Manchester. You know, they wouldn't be flying to New York or whatever to go and, and see this stuff. I mean, what what do your friends say when, when you tell them that?
1: My friends, not too much anything because they've all done it. Like, that was the whole thing was I was the first one to start watching football and to really get into it and to become a passionate supporter. And back in – when we were in uni, like, they would just brush it off being like, yeah, like, Pauly likes, Pauly likes soccer. It's weird, but that's his thing. And then <laughs> after we graduated, they, they would get into it. And they all flew to, flew to England and went to matches before I did. And I was like, what the <laughs> hell, guys? Like <laughs> – this was my thing. Um, so they they all think it's it's quite normal. Um, and yeah, it, my family is just like, oh, that's his hobby and that's what he spends you know, hobbies cost money, but uh, but that's his hobby and and this is what what he does. Like, I mean no one spends more money than I do on this on this stuff because I always say like it now, five years ago it was great like every match was available and now it's like they're spread across like three different streaming services so you got to pay for like all these different things to be able to watch the matches and i pay for all of them yeah
0: i i know exactly what you mean it's the same thing Yeah.
1: so i pay for i pay for the right to watch every match and then i go and pay by the match at the bar
0: this is the the craziness of being a football fan but it sounds like despite being halfway across the world You've managed to pretty much replicate, you know, what it is to be a, a standard Man United fan like anyone else. You know, you go to the to the pub, have a few drinks, watch the game with all your buddies. Sometimes you get to a game, which even for people here, they don't go to a game all the time, especially Old Trafford. I imagine it's not easy to go to. So it sounds like, despite being in New York, you've pretty much got a uh, pretty usual football fan experience going on.
1: Yeah. It's great. There's a lot of expats. So you, you get a lot. We have a lot of people who are from Manchester who have moved to New York, whether for work or for other reasons. And you get that a lot all over the city where if you, if you go to a Liverpool bar, there's going to be a lot of people from Liverpool who used to be season ticket holders at Anfield or their, their father still is. Um, hmm. And really there's bars throughout the city of different clubs. There are so many different supporters clubs like the, The thing that I say always is, unless you're in the country hosting the World Cup, there is no better place to watch the World Cup than in New York City, because you can find a group of people from that country easily. Uh, Like My old job was about seven blocks in between the two biggest soccer bars in New York City, and during the World Cup, like at lunch, I would just... I would be like, who's playing today? Like which bar is going to have more of whichever fans I wanted to be to see. And I just go to those matches just to be around like people watching their home country. And it, it was incredible. The amount of grown men that I just saw like crying because their country made it out of the group was just astonishing. Like, uh, when, when Marcos Rojo scored that goal to put to get Argentina through the group. And all of a sudden there was not a, a, not a single guy in the bar was wearing a shirt anymore. I was like, where did all these Argentinian flags come from? And I was like, (laughs) Oh, it's just everybody's waving their Jersey. Like no one is wearing a shirt anymore. It was just incredible.
0: Oh, the beauty of football that, that sounds, that sounds beautiful. And I can believe you. I mean, it's such a multicultural place, right? I can, I can, I can believe that for sure. Um, you mentioned the, the money it can cost to um, to be such a football obsessive. Uh, what about the time? How time-consuming is it for you to not only be such a big fan, but sort of, you know, you're creating content with it too, which we're going to come on to in a little bit. I mean, uh, how do you balance all that as well as being married, having a professional life? Sometimes it's hard for a football fan to uh, find enough time in the day, right?
1: Yeah, that's what... The- Basically, that's exactly the thing that I'm going through now. During COVID, I wasn't working as much, so I had all the time, which was which was great. Um, now it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit trickier, and and yeah, it does. I it does take a lot of time, uh, especially to be a content creator. Yeah, I rewatch. I have to rewatch every single match, both for what I for the content that I'm creating and because I also want to, as as a fan. Um, as a married person it's difficult but my wife knows how much they mean to how much united means to me and and she knows she basically at this point knows to work my schedule around it so she, we will we will work the schedule around a united match but, but where you have to give up is um i happen to be able to watch it this week but in a normal week if we had plans like oh okay i can't watch city versus liverpool which Yes, I was able to watch that one, uh, and that was a thrilling match. But basically, that was like the first match that didn't feature United that I've really had the time to sit down and watch 90 minutes of this this season. We've been so busy. So you make your sacrifices elsewhere. Um, it, as someone who people ask questions about and, and, and does create content, you do want to stay informed with the rest of the league. So you do have to create time somewhere in the day to make sure that you are up to date on – on all of that so it's definitely it's definitely time consuming and and yeah it's like you go on a lunch break from work and you're not taking a break you're just using your break to catch up on football it it it, it's a a lot of time
0: Uh, when did this obsession when did it sort of translate from just being obsessed like like loads of fans are into this sort of analysis and prep and creating content on on your Substack and And various channels when when did you start sort of uh, transitioning from crazy fan to even crazier uh, um, analyst I guess you would say
1: I had started I want to say I'd started in, in college because I wanted to originally go the broadcasting route and I was writing for a couple of sites and I just I was writing about everything but I found football to be the easiest one to write about I don't know why and that I kind of just stopped eventually, I, I stopped. I, I don't know, I don't remember exactly why. And then in the middle of the decade, I said, I'm gonna start writing again. And I, I started writing like, but very surface level things. And it was probably around, uh, it was probably at the start of like the 2019-20 season when I really picked up more of the analytics side and said, I'm gonna really dive deeper into this and, and, and really, really go like full throttle.
0: Now, before we come on to your speciality, which is tactics and analysis, we're going to get into that a little bit earlier than we usually would on the show. But before we do that, we're going to take one very quick break. And we're back. So, you're a tactics guy, Paulie. I want to ask you, first of all, before we come on to Ollie and, and the, the sort of challenges of this season, well, um, I guess I'm the positives not to be positive about, I think, for sure. Uh, before we come on to that, What would you say has been your favorite era of United since you've been a fan? Which is quite a long time. I find that when I speak to a lot of um, sort of the um, American fans that we speak to, sometimes they they sort of came along maybe 2010 or 2012 or something. But for you, I think you mentioned 2002. So it's been a long time, maybe two decades you've been following the club. Um, During that time, what was your favorite era to watch in terms of playing style? Not only personnel, but in terms of the way you played, and why? Why is that? Who was involved? Who Who, who, were, who were the key players at that time?
1: I, I imagine that I have the same answer as everybody else. Two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and it's because Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, and I mean that team was just the most fun team to watch on any given day. I still I remember so clearly um, for the first eight, nine weeks of the season, they were talking, like, can Rooney and Tevez play together? And then they played that game against Middlesbrough where they scored that goal where they passed the ball amongst, like, there was, like, a back heel, and Anderson was involved. It was, like, Anderson to Rooney, like, Tevez, or, or Tevez to Rooney, and, like, Rooney, like, chested it back to Tevez, who smashed it in, and it was like, okay, they're going to be fine. And from there, they just took off. And playing style, like... Now that I go back and watch it, yeah, like I could see that they were a counter attack team back then. I was just a dumb kid. I was just like, yeah, this is fun. Uh, like, what's a playing style? I I didn't I probably <laughs> yeah. didn't realize that there were different playing st- like I, I remember the talk about how Wenger's Arsenal played and and Jose Mourinho's Chelsea and and all that stuff, but like I didn't notice it until really uh, probably like really Van Gaal came around and it was like, Oh, this is different. And this is boring. David Moyes was a little bit different, but like he still set the team up in the same way. It was just like, we don't pass forwards anymore. We're like Tom Cleverly only passes to Nemanja Vidic. Like who told him to do that last year? He passed to everybody. Now he only turns around and passes it backwards. <laughs> um, but yeah. so yeah, that O seven O eight seven Oh eight team. And the, Uh, 2012-13, that first Robin Van Persie season is probably the most fun season I've ever watched in my life. But that was, again, that wasn't a great team either. That was just one player deciding, like, I'm going to win you the league, give me the ball, and just doing spectacular things week after week because they couldn't defend. So it was really that... um, That that 07-08 team, like, didn't really concede goals. And it was more of... I remember a lot of times teams would come to Old Trafford and try to pack it in and it was about when will United score their first goal, and once they score their first goal, they'll score a second, a third, and a fourth. That Van Persie team was, oh, we're down 1-0 again, and oh, it's 2-1, now it's 2-2, like, we need a third goal to win. It was very, you score two, we'll score three, you score three, we'll score four mentality team, which also turns into fun football. But So that was probably the most fun season I've ever seen.
0: And how would you describe sort of the United way through the years? I know it maybe it's changed a little bit now since Fergie left because there's been a number of managers coming in, but you mentioned counter-attacking. Do you think that's... Is that a staple of the sort of... Um, the hallmark United way of playing? And and what other sort of keywords would you throw in there to describe what is the, the way that true United have played throughout your sort of following the club?
1: It's a really loaded question because the answer features a lot of buzzwords that I think get misused um so like yeah counterattacking is a good word Mm -hmm. because Ferguson's team especially that 08 team was a big time counterattacking team and the years that followed when Ronaldo left like most of the football that they played was not great but every so often you got a a good exciting goal on a counterattack Attacking football is the buzzword that everybody would say. That's the Manchester United way. And I don't think people quite understand that. Like, I've heard people basically say, like, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is playing pragmatic defensive football when he promised attacking football. And it's like, "Mm," like, you have to have defense in order to play attacking football. And also, like... If you yeah. just wanted a back and forth match that's all attacking and and no defending, go watch the Aston Villa match from a week ago because that's what that match was and it didn't work for United. Um but I I think really the United way goes back to Matt Busby and that you have an obligation to entertain the fans. I and if you ever saw the movie United, uh, I forgot who the, um who the actor is but um, and then he, the, the young actor, uh, Jack cool, Jack O'Connell, uh, maybe? Yes, yes, him. Yes, that's yeah um,
0: I don't think I've seen this movie, though. It's called United, you
1: said. It's called United. It's about the, the Munich Air disaster and, and how Jimmy Murphy uh, picked the club back up afterwards. But there's a scene beforehand where um, Bobby Charlton is... Old trafford and jimmy murphy's like talking to them and he's and he talked about he's like look at the stands here he goes you know people work six and a half days a week and then they come and they spend their money here like they don't have to do that but they choose to do that and he goes and therefore it creates an obligation for us to entertain them like we can't just go out there and go through the motions because they they wait all week to see us like we have an obligation to entertain them which is something that comes from matt busby and that's really what I, what I believe in. And that, that shapes my, my view is that, yeah, like I am the most competitive person out there. I want to win at everything that I do. But when I'm waking up at seven thirty in the morning, like I want to be entertained. I'm not, like, what, what difference to me does it make if like we win a boring dross, like one nil match. So I could go online and yell at a Chelsea fan or, or yell at or call up my friend on the phone and be like, Hey, the team that I support is better than your team. I want to be entertained. And on, on top of that, then I want to win. Um, so I think that's really important in, in the United way. And I think you see that in a lot of different places. Like, um, I just read the, the Barcelona complex by Simon Cooper, which one of the best football books out there. Um, and he talked about how at Barcelona it's about playing. You have to be good. Like the the fans don't call, the fans don't cheer until you do something good at Barcelona. Now I'm, that I might not agree with, but that's the way it is at Barcelona. And then once you are good and playing the right way, you must win. Whereas at Real Madrid, it's you must win, and yeah. not so much of a how you did it.
0: Yeah, 100%. And clubs just have their different ethoses, don't they? I would argue that under Abramovich, it's kind of the same at Chelsea, that they just want to win. Entertainment comes second. And it just depends on the club. Some fans, they, they want to be entertained first. And and of course, there's divisions in every club. But um, but I think that's that's a good way of defining it, that it's just entertaining football. Of course, you need to be able to defend. It's not just all-out attack, but in general, entertain. Now, in the post-Fergie era, because I would argue that Fergie... Pretty much um, lived up to that ideal. I know it's a really long tenure, so there were highs and lows. But in general, he pretty much lived up to that. Um, in the the post-Fergie era of we got Moyes, Van Gaal, uh, Mourinho, and Oli. Which of those managers drifted away from that ethos the most?
1: God, yeah, that's tough. Because I, like, with every fiber of my being, I want to say it's Jose Mourinho, but it was Louis Van Gaal. Yeah, it's tough. It's a toss up between the two. They were both so horrific. Because, I think. And like Louis Van Gaal had the team to be able to play better than than they did. And he yeah. just wouldn't allow it. And there <laughs> and there were so many times where United would make a play, like they'd make the stop in transition and they'd get the ball out and Rooney would start running with it. And then at the halfway line just pull up and be like, All right, wait for everybody to, to come up. So we could have some possession here. And I'm like, you're also just waiting for the defense to get back. And I was like, why? Like, just run the counterattack, score, and then we'll go back to playing possession football. Like, at least under Mourinho, they did counterattack, but that was just the only thing they did.
0: Oh, my God. Well, now we're at the Oli era, and um, one thing that Oli often gets charged with, which I think is um, pretty foolish, but... Um, on Twitter, you get a lot of foolish comments, of course. But one of the things that you hear a lot is that Ollie has no tactics, quote, which is an interesting thing to say, I think. But um, what would you say is his approach? And how would you say it differed from Mourinho? And do you think it's sort of evolved during the time he's been there? Has his tactical approach changed or has he remained the same the whole time?
1: Um, yeah, so... Well, you're right. Like to say that he has no tactics is incredibly dumb. Because if I set you up in a four four two, that's a tactic right there. So, like that's something. Yeah,
0: literally. Of course, everything is a tactic. You don't have to like it, but it's a tactic.
1: And he has switched his like game plan. We've seen him play with a back three. We've play- we've seen him play with different formations, etc. What he doesn't have is a style. I-, I remember talking to somebody about this over the summer and saying the new thing that's in vogue is we need to take. We need to be able to take your surname and put the word ball afterwards. <laughs> Jose Ball yeah. and uh, Pep Ball and Arteta Ball. Now, like Mikel Arteta has a very set style. It's not that great. I don't. I don't particularly think it works that well. I don't particularly think Mikel Arteta is a great manager. Um, Ali Solstar does not have a have a set style, and to some people, that's that means oh, you're not that guy anymore. But like Carlo Ancelotti doesn't have a have a style like. There's Benitez ball, but there's no Ancelotti ball.
0: Yeah, Ancelotti is one of the most decorated managers in the history of the game. Absolute goat, right there. Right,
1: and like, what is it? And Zidane has won three Champions League. There's no Zidane yeah. ball. Like, you don't need that style. But that's the feeling around today's game, and and Ali certainly does not have it. So, can't lie and tell you he does. Um, his tactics, though, very much have evolved since coming to United because the the funny thing was, was when he first got here, he was very Jose Mourinho. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. In the first few games, he just took the team and said, right, you're more talented than these guys go out there and play. But then, then he went to Wembley and in that one, nil win over, over Tottenham. And it was very Jose Mourinho. And then a few weeks later, he went to uh, the Emirates in the FA cup. And it was again, like a very, Jose Mourinho game where they just sat deep, absorbed pressure and hit you on the counter attack a few times. The difference that was the match though where you could see the difference. Like Jose Mourinho's whole thing is he's terrified of what happens when you lose the ball. Like he, he's the one that whereas everybody else believes like you can't score if we have the ball. So like the ball's a weapon because we could score and you can't. Jose Mourinho believes you're you're most vulnerable when you have the ball because you can lose it and then they can they can Hmm. kill you with it. Um, And his whole thing was. Don't leave your position, even when we have the ball. So therefore, if we lose the ball, you're ready to defend. And that is why the attack was very stale, because you, you don't have movement and people interchanging because you cannot leave your zone. And it was in that Arsenal game where Luke Shaw won the ball at the edge of the box and just starts running with it and ended up on the right touch line before <laughs> passing the ball straight up to Lukaku. And that was when I was like, okay, you would not see that under Mourinho. But so th- that's like kind of like what all he did was he took like, it was like, hey, Jose Mourinho's tactics might still work if you tweak them a little bit and also just don't throw the players under the bus and treat the players like crap. Uh, like, be nice to them, and maybe you'll get a reaction out of them. And his tactics have since evolved as he's brought more into the team. I think in that, at the start of that 2019-20 season, you look at that team. They didn't have a lot of mm. talent, and he rightly looked at that team and said the best way for us to win is going to be run these teams' tails off. We have Anthony Marcia. We have Marci- Marcus Rashford. We have Daniel James. like. We've got pace. You've got Paul Pogba that can find them when they're running. Now, he got hurt five games into the season, um, and, and we didn't have the creator. We didn't have a, a good a creative midfield either. So really, it was find space and attack it, and, and they struggled when there was no space. And he's worked to um, change that. He got the fullbacks more involved as the season went on, and and it evolved from there. And then I think last season, last season was all about papering over cracks. And it looks like that's what this season is going to be about. And shoot me because everybody's figured out how he did it last (laughs) year. So they know how to stop. Um, But last season was about like, we don't have a right winger. Um, And we don't really have a midfield either. So how do we, how do we hide those facts and like, how do we hide those things and how do we paper over these cracks to, to be at our best and, they, he managed to do it. Um, it wasn't always pretty, but I think he wanted to take the next step this season. And he, it just, he still doesn't have the team to be able to do it. And that's partially an indictment on him and partially an indictment on the, the men above him.
0: What are you lacking in terms of being able to put into play his tactics properly and really push on? Is it, is it really just the McFred? situation that's the the most costlier it's situation just,
1: it's just a freaking midfielder who could sit in front of the back four yeah. and cast the ball forward <laughs> um if you ask everybody for what their for what their top team would be everybody gives you some sort of midfield combination Everybody, go oh, we should be playing a 4-3-3 the way city and liverpool do even though they play it completely different from each other but with a midfield three of bruno fernandez and then everybody will either say Paul Pogba or Donny Van de Beek, and Scott McTominay, and we, mm-hmm. I'm like that's a terrible midfield and it won't work. And we Solstar gave us that last week against uh, Villarreal. We he played a four three three and it was a disaster. But we have we we rarely even see Paul Pogba and Scott McTominay play together. These like they only started like five games together last season when they were when. Pogba was fit most of the season. And the reason was because teams just said, right, uh, Pogba can hurt us. McTominay can't. So they just put two, three men on Pogba. And every time he got the ball, they just rushed to him and pressured him because that's where he's vulnerable is he might hold the ball a lot. But they also just – if you had a midfielder next to him that can hurt you, you wouldn't be able to do that. But they were just leaving Scott McTominay wide open because they were saying – Okay, we challenge McTominay to beat us. Um, it's like when I play basketball, the other team leaves me open because I can't shoot. Um, so I'm not a threat to but them But if
0: you magically came back from one summer uh, amazing at shooting. Then
1: they would start guarding me. Yeah, they'd start guarding me. But for now, it's like don't if Paulie hits a couple shots, like okay, but if if he takes a lot of shots, he's gonna miss most of them and it's not gonna hurt us. So Teams started sitting off of McTominay and it, it became very difficult for us. And we saw it at West Ham um, in that chaotic first half where United were almost run off the pitch and God only knows how they won that match. We saw it against Villarreal in the, in the Europa League final as United couldn't create anything because their creator was getting swarmed and the ball just kept being funneled to the wide open McTominay and we weren't doing anything um, hmm. with it. So, this season it's been the same thing happened against Southampton was basically Southampton just sat on Pogba and Fernandez and they were like Matic and Fred, you guys could have the ball. We'll let you have it, but we're not going to let you pass it to Pogba or Bruno. So you got to figure out what to do with it now. And they couldn't. Mm. And then a week later against Wolves, it was very similar it was they sat on Pogba and left Fred open and said, Fred beat us. And that's, that's really the issue is they need someone there to take the pressure off. They also need someone that could that will actually sit in position and not overcommit. The, McTominay and Fred's biggest problem is they each overcommit to the ball and they each Fred wins a lot of tackles, but he also engages in a lot and loses a lot. And when he when you lose a lot, now there's one less defender. Yeah. to deal with you. McTominay will overcommit to the ball and doesn't even get there in time a lot. And suddenly you're lacking a midfield and you have guys running right at your back line, which is, it doesn't matter who, as as they are proving, it doesn't matter who you have back there if you don't protect them. They're screwed.
0: Yeah, because even with Varane, I think everyone thought Varane was the answer. And I think Varane's fantastic, of course, great signing. But even he and Maguire, which I think is a really solid partnership, they still need support, right? They need support.
1: Exactly. And Varane is a great signing and he is a great... uh, I don't know if great signing, but he is a great player. And last year when you looked at this team and you said, um, uh, okay. The center back partnership is bad, which I think Victor Lindelof is better than people give him credit for, but definitely can be, definitely can be approved upon, but better than you're giving credit for is the games where they were bad. It was okay. Like you let people run at them and that's never a recipe for success. And the attack would stall. And the attack stalled so often because we didn't have anybody making direct passes unless Bruno Fernandes dropped deep to get the ball. And then when he did that, he passed the ball forward and it's like, great. But now Bruno Fernandes isn't forward in that creative spot where you need him to be to have the ball.
0: Yeah, and it's a bad sign when that happens. I know it's a different position. It's even crazier when Harry Kane always does it, even as a striker. But it's sort of kind of implying that you know you can't be trusted like I have to come back here and do it myself right because there's no one here who's actually going to be able to hit those passes or create anything from deep
1: it's one of like one of Harry Maguire's strengths is that he can carry the ball forward and charge forward into midfield and he's very good with his distribution and there were games where like Fred would try to move the ball forward and he wouldn't be able to or, like, he'd screw up the pass, and the next time United got the ball, Maguire would just be like, Fred, get out of the way. I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's exactly what you just said of, like, it's not always good. The games where Maguire did it most, United didn't win. So it's mm. like, you need that balance of, yes, Maguire can do this, but we cannot be relying on Maguire to do this. Um, yeah, And United this summer just in order to improve their attack and their defense, they went and got an attacker and they went and got a defender and they didn't get any of the, they, they didn't focus on the bridge that connects the two. Whereas if you got a midfielder that protects your defense, even if you did not get Rafael Varane, your defense would be better. And if you had some, and if that, everybody was talking about, Oh, you need somebody that makes a lot of tackles and interceptions, et cetera. And it's like, you don't. Nemanja Matic does not, do that he he doesn't make a lot of tackles he doesn't make get a lot of interceptions he reads the game very well he positions himself well Michael Carrick didn't make a lot of tackles or interceptions just well positioned and defending 80% of defending is just being there and not letting if I'm defending you it's not letting you do what you wanted to do with the ball and forcing you to pass it wide to a winger or, or or something. If if you can't do your primary objective, I've already done my job.
0: Yeah, exactly. If you've got the 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 two sort of, you've got Varane and Maguire who are really strong centre-backs and they're both strong in the air. Then if you've got sort of a, a really good deep-line midfielder who can show them the wing instead of letting them run with blistering pace at these guys who aren't, I know Varane's quicker than um, people people think, but... Still, in general, you don't want your centre backs just being constantly like ran at, you know, by Mane and Firmino and then Salah and stuff. You'd prefer that they have to go wide and then okay, ball in, okay, head away. Just a bit of a safer option, right, to push them out wide or
1: right. And it's and they're built to like be able to handle that because first of all, teams won't even go on the left side down their left. United's right because Aaron Wan-Bissaka is going to yep. shut you down. There you go. And that uh, Villarreal's eyes lit up when they were like, oh, we have Diogo Delote there and not Juan Bissaka. (laughs) And they just attacked down that side, the entire match because he could not do anything, but teams won't even go that way, which is kind of why Juan Bissaka's frailties at the back post get highlighted because they're always attacking down the left and crossing it towards Juan Bissaka because they won't attack down the other side. So if you just protect the middle, You're in such a better scenario, but United don't have guys that protect the middle. And they, they just didn't address this issue this summer, which continues to boggle my mind because every week, every problem that they have really just boils down to they don't have someone in midfield that can play next to someone that would be good, whether it's, a Paul Pogba or possibly a Donny van de Beek. I don't think Donny van de Beek's a pivot player, but um but a Fred or McTominay and have them do the things that they are good at rather than being like we need you to do the two of you to do everything, which is too much for them. So that's that's your structural
0: issue then is in in the midfield sort of like a deep lying player who is good at positioning themselves like you said in terms of defending and can also maybe play a ball keep things moving play a long ball um so they haven't addressed that it seems like in the summer they made some amazing signings but just signings that they didn't necessarily need not bad not that it wouldn't improve things but they could have lived without maybe Sancho or, or Varane and the the bigger priority was what we just spoke about but in terms of that the biggest one is of course ronaldo so i mean it's a fantastic signing of course nothing wrong with signing ronaldo and he's already scored a few goals and obviously from a fan point of view as well it's just you'd have him there anyway wouldn't you even in a way you'd maybe you'd even lose just to have him there cuz cuz the romance of it but um but do you feel that at juventus there was a lot of sort of criticism that while he puts up great numbers he negatively affects the team as a whole you know a lot more about this than I do. Tactically speaking, do you worry about that? That the presence of Ronaldo in the team can negatively affect the way you play and, and mean that you win less matches.
1: Worried about it. We're already seeing it. And that's that's <laughs> the problem. Is I I was when they when the rumors even started coming out, I was like, Don't do it. It's just not worth it. He's he's thirty six years old, he scores it's it's like it's very hard to explain to people that, like, yes, he scores goals, but, like, he doesn't do everything else. Literally nothing else, nothing. We were sold on this already when the team brought in Zlatan Ibrahimović, and it was, he's a, and we got all this all the tropes. He is a guarantee, he provides guaranteed goals. Okay, he, he scored 17 goals in the league. Um, you know, for for someone that everybody said, oh, he's guaranteed to get you 20, 25, 30 goals, he scored 17. Um Then we had guaranteed goals in Lukaku. He scored 16. Then we had guaranteed goals in Alexis Sanchez. But he scored like four.
0: Uh, (laughs) That was a a different (laughs) thing.
1: (laughs) But we had guaranteed goals in Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And he's a proven winner. He wins everywhere he went. Before he came to United, he won the league. Every season he played in professional football. Which is a remarkable run, considering how often he switched teams. Mm -hmm. Then he came in and, yeah, he scored goals. But... We didn't win, like, and we didn't win when he was in the team. We were we were sixth, and like we floated between fifth and sixth. We went on the longest unbeaten run in the club's history. I think was that run under Mourinho, and we went from we when we started that run we were sixth in the table, and when we finally lost the match we were fifth in the table. It was like that run was just was the most peak Mourinho. It was just filled with with nil nil and one one draws. <laughs> yeah, and part of the issue was it was like. We had this team that was so capable of doing, of playing a certain way, but Zlatan Ibrahimovic was a focal point and he doesn't play that way. You have Anthony Marcial and Marcus Rashford ready to run in behind once you get the ball. But Zlatan's like, give me the ball at my feet and then I'm gonna like try to turn and, and do things and I'm not, I'm not looking for runners in behind. I'm looking to then move and advance the ball and get it wide and then you're gonna get it back to me in the box. So it's hard to sell people like it's hard to explain to people like, yes, goal Like, because ultimately you need goals. But this team also had the second most goals in the league last year, despite the fact that none of their strikers were really performing at their top level. So
0: goals weren't an issue.
1: Goals were not an issue. People will say and and people will say, but you look at the nil nil draws against Chelsea and the nil nil against Liverpool and the nil nil against Arsenal and the nil nil against City. And it's you get a goal. You win those games. Without, But you also have to look at the other part of we didn't lose those games because we defended as a team. And in all those games, we had like one or two chances to win it. But the other teams had three or four chances to win it. And yeah. part of the reason that we got nil-nils is because we defended so well as an 11-man team. And adding a player like Ronaldo, how does he fit into that is a question that we still do not know the answer. Because we haven't played those games. We will find out next month um but i i really when the rumors started it was like okay he's coming whatever i said he'd score four goals in his first two games because i said these things always start really well uh lukaku Mm -hmm. had like four goals in his first three games laton had four four goals in his first three games and i was like and it always start you know he'll he'll definitely bag a brace in his first game against newcastle and i went and everybody's gonna You know, oh my god, Ronaldo's back, and it's exactly (laughs) what happened. And I went, but what will happen in December, in January, in February, when the weather gets bad? and, And he's he's 36 years old. And it was like five years ago that Zidane was said to him, like, You cannot play every game anymore. We need to rest you. So that we can win, so that you're fresh in April and May when those games are really important, especially in the Champions League, and you're at your best, so you can win us the Champions League. And it was, it was very, like, it's interesting, I, I was looking at this last night, it's like one of the first things I ever tracked statistically was I had this spreadsheet that was basically just how many goals were Ronaldo scoring at Real Madrid under which manager and, like, mm-hmm. what percent of the load he had. And this is before, like, I had any advanced stats or, or knowledge about advanced stats. I've just kept this spreadsheet for some reason, and I never look at it, and I happened to look at it last night and was like, what is this sheet telling me again? Like, what what was I even tracking here? But it it just goes to show that, like, Ronaldo had been scoring, like, 35 to 40% of Real Madrid's goals in La Liga, and then under Zidane, it suddenly went to... 30 25 20 but in the Champions League he was scoring 24 25 percent of Real Madrid's goals and then under Zidane it goes to 45 50 and it just shows you how like in La Liga he was like we're not built we're not making you the focal point anymore because we want we want you to rest and we want everybody else to do their thing. And then in the Champions League, it's going to be you. It's go, we're built, and that's why Gareth Bale did not fit in it. In the decide was he said, I need more. I need he he needed to bring in another infielder to provide uh, midfielder, to provide that industry in the middle to account for the fact that Ronaldo wasn't defending. And he said, I can't play with Bale and Ronaldo. We'll we'll get carved open. So, we're going to put in this team that works hard, gets the ball to Ronaldo and and rely on Ronaldo's sheer talent to get us that winner because he is that good but now he's 36 how's it gonna play when when he's when the weather's bad and he's got a bunch of games under his legs and we know you know always not one to rotate the team too much so he'll play I figured we had until then to see the issues that Ronaldo would bring it's been four weeks and we're already seeing them Ronaldo's a player that likes to drop deep to get the ball just like Harry Kane as you mentioned before and it that becomes a problem and it's not necess- it, it hasn't been a problem of United can't get him the ball it's just been this is what I do and when you're playing Paul Pogba on the left wing who likes to tuck into that half space like that's where Ronaldo drops into and now it's like you're you're standing you're cringing on Pogba's space whereas if you just let Pogba have the ball and you stay high or make a run off that, like he'll find you. But now you're forcing Pogba to move around and and forcing Bruno to move around. And everybody's just moving around a bit more. And defensively, you can't press the way that United used to or wanted to, which might not be a bad thing because their press is always so disjointed um, that maybe it's a better thing to not press your opponent as much because you have to press as as an 11 man unit. And Ronaldo's not going to do that. So just don't. Fine.
0: Yeah, it's better not to do it at all if you're not going to do it properly. And I guess it's just an an example of signing a player without really thinking about the system. Because if you sign a young player who plays a certain way and this is just what I do, you can say, okay, well, you don't anymore and you're going to adapt and you're playing a different way now. If you're 22, that's no problem. If you're 36, I mean, even Harry Kane, he's only 28, I think. But it's still old enough that when he was linked with City... I was thinking I don't know if that would work because again this is just what I do. Well, you can't do that like in a pep team. You can't he needs to be the focal point of the press at the front. He needs to be the really the, the first guy leading the charge. He can't be dropping deep all the time picking the ball up in CDM position and playing balls wide. It just would have been weird and Especially the Ronaldo to Man City League. That would have been even weirder. Uh,
1: that's, and that's why I wanted it to happen. I was like, when people were freaking out.
0: Self-destruction. When
1: people were freaking out and they were like, we can't let Ronaldo go to City. And I was like, it's not. Look, it's Pep, it's Ronaldo. And he's going to score goals. So, like, it's hard to say, like, oh, it's not going to work. But, like, you watch. Like, it's not yeah. going to work. And and I'm sure that the t- like, it's Pep, it's Ronaldo. Like, they'll figure something out. But... I- for two years and then pep's gone and ronaldo's gone like that's well guess what guess who's been building up a team like in the meantime and who's ready to and like (laughs) liverpool are old too now guess who's ready to like take over and and have another era at the top of the premier league but instead they went and they got ronaldo and as you were saying like you were basically saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks and it's it's yeah exactly he doesn't want to
0: learn new tricks either.
1: It's not just that. Like cuz there's some there are some that that will like they could United could say to Edison Cavani this is how we want you to play. Um and he'll do it for the most part. Now he doesn't speak a word of English, so uh, <laughs> there is a language barrier. And and it took Cavani like a long time to adapt last year and uh the, it was really it was it wasn't until that Spurs match in April where things really clicked. And they said it was like they got back from their Europa League match and they sat down with Cavani and, like, just showed him videos of, like, what they wanted him to do. And they're like, there wasn't a lot of speaking in that meeting. It was just videos of, like, basically watch that guy. And, and it clicked for <laughs> him. Um, and, that, and that's where Cavani really turned this corner in terms of with this team. But if you tell him, like, this is, we're going to need you to do this for the team, Cavani will do that. You're dealing... Yeah. Now with this arrogant, narcissistic, egomaniac—I <laughs> mean, he's got his own face on his shin pads. Like that's the kind of yeah. human being that you're dealing with. So <laughs> there is a way to make. Mm, there is a. There is certainly, and this has always been my question. There is certainly a way of making Ronaldo at United work. The question is, will he buy into it? That was my. Uh, my whole thing has been this feels very Mourinho of our are, are Manchester United winning or is Cristiano Ronaldo winning because for a lot of fans it was just well we finished second we added Ronaldo he's going to score goals therefore we will win and it's when we signed Jaden Sancho I said cool now get a midfielder because Sancho isn't good unless you get him the ball in when he's running at defenders and, and in places where he can be dangerous if you can't do that he will not be good. He won't improve your attack because it won't improve. He'll be anonymous. It's how many goals, like how many chances is Cristiano Ronaldo going to finish if we're not creating him chances? That's that's the crux of the matter. And when Ronaldo drops deeper to get on the ball, like you're, he's not taking it and creating chances with it. So he's taking the ball away from our creators, whether that be Pogba or Fernandez or Shaw. And and that's what's upsetting the balance in the side. And you end up throwing you end up slowly building up to to the other team's box. But like there's so many players back there that you end up devoting more men forward, which leaves you vulnerable on the counterattack. And so now United are being carved open one way and not producing enough on the other end that these are the vulnerabilities to the point that. I said the I was not a big fan of Edinson Cavani on this team last year. I thought he was much better off the bench than as a, as a starter. And I was I said on Saturday, I was like the greatest mm-hmm. thing Ronaldo has done has been making me like a huge Edinson Cavani fan. That I'm like, yeah, Cavani should start. And that I watched that match the first time and said, yeah, we looked against Everton. Said we looked way better again with Cavani on the pitch than with Ronaldo on the pitch. And then I watched it back, and I was like, we didn't look that good with Cavani on the pitch to begin with. I was like, it's just the best we've looked in a long time. I'm like, that's the that's the problem, <laughs> is everything is so disjointed now. And I'm not putting all of this on Ronaldo. It's not all of his fault. There are other issues in the team, especially like the midfield. And But some of it is his fault. Like, when they need... Like, there's a reason that we looked better with Cavani. It's because Cavani just plays on the last shoulder of the of the of the defender and gives Bruno Fernandez that space to operate in. And when Paul Pug was on the left wing and he cuts inside, he doesn't have to worry about Cavani in coming in on his space. As opposed to Ronaldo, who just keeps moving all over the place, and then that causes other people to move and it puts players probably not in their best like Mason Greenwood I think has struggled since Ronaldo has come in
0: yeah i noticed that a lot and
1: it's because united are kind of asking him to play this like half winger half forward thing more so than what they used to do when they were like we're you're going to be a forward that comes off the right and now it's like you're not coming off the right as much you're just like moving into the half spaces and He's struggling at that because it's like the third different role they've asked him to play in the last three years, and he's 21 years old, or 20 years old. And it's like he's, he's trying to grasp everything. Like he's, he's yeah really, and he's doing a good job given the circumstances because he does have a lot of talent, but there are things about his game that hold him back in these areas. And it's just like you're asking him to play the role that Jaden Sancho is built for and it's like why mm-hmm. are we why are we doing this week after week like let sancho play a bit and at least get a run on the team cuz every week sancho like looks good and then gets taken off and then doesn't start the next match and then and he comes on and he looks good but like he's not getting the goals and assists yet to like register in everyone's brain but he's doing all the things that you signed him to do
0: yeah it seems like you've got a bit an abundance of talent in terms of sort of people playing on the right or on the left and you're just lacking that midfield space right the, the... You didn't need Sancho as much as you needed. As, as I'm sure he'll be great for you, but you didn't need him as much as you needed a real midfielder.
1: Yeah, and it's it's. See, well, uh, I disagree with you there, because like Jaden Sancho was the perfect fit for this team. Two,
0: he was improvement on Dan James. I'm sure. I, I think for sure, but would you rather have not had him and had the options you had last season? But I don't know, had Cante or someone <laughs> instead, or. I know that's difficult to say because he's an absolute worldie and that would never happen, but you know, would you have if you could go back in time, would you have if you had to choose, would you have not had Sancho and had the midfielder instead or
1: based on based on everything else or just or just if like you're offering me just one player.
0: Yeah, you're only allowed to have either Sancho or a midfielder.
1: I would take San I would take the midfielder because I think Marcus Rashford can do the job on the right between Rashford Greenwood yeah. James. Other fans don't like that. They think Rashford should never be on the right. But I do think Jaden Sancho like not only solves an issue for the club, but was like a perfect fit for it the same way that Bruno Fernandez was a perfect fit when they first signed him, um, which is why he hit the ground running and and everything. Whereas Ronaldo is and and Cavani are not perfect fits, and are more you have to adapt to them, and that causes everybody Mm. and that that causes time to settle in, like. Remember, I mean, it took until April for Cavani to really quick last year. That seems like a long time, but, like remember, he didn't play in October. He barely played in November. He got injured in the winter again. So all in all, it took like three months. It just that happened to be like eight months into the season. So that would take more time. But Sancho is such a good fit for this team, but you need that midfielder. And I just every game, it feels like you watch the same thing of, the back four passed it around amongst each other while the midfield doesn't give them an option in the middle of the field. And eventually they work the ball like over to Juan Bissaka or to Shaw. And again, no option to cut in field. And so their only option now is go up the line to a Mason Greenwood or to whoever's playing on the left. And when you're, when you have to do that and like those guys are coming back to the ball with a man on their back, they are fa- their backs to goal. There's a man on their back. The only option that they really have is to go straight back to you, and it doesn't. You need to get them the ball facing the other way. And there was the sequence where uh, Sunday, where it was City clear the ball out, and um, whoever was playing next to Van Dyke just heads it over to Van Dyke. He puts the ball on his foot.
0: Matip. I think. Yeah,
1: Matip. He he puts the ball on, on his foot. Fabinho gets into a position between two city players. So he breaks the line right there. And Fabinho takes the ball on the half turn, immediately is able to look up, gives the and what does he do? He immediately gives the ball straight. It's like a five-yard pass to Jordan Henderson. So you get the ball to Fabinho. He gives it to the passer. Henderson's the better passer than Fabinho, and it's just quick. And Henderson's able to just slide it right at Mo Salah, who is running at your left back. And it's that quick. And it's just because we went up the middle, and and I got my guy got into position, took it on the half turn, and was able to turn up the pitch, and from there be like, here I'm gonna give it to, the good player. Like, I started calling Fred two touch Fred this weekend because I was like, and I was I was trying to tell people I'm like, if we just call him two touch Fred, it'll change the narrative on him. If you watch him, if he takes two or fewer touches, he's fine. It's when, he's gotta be on the ball like he. That's what, and he starts thinking and then he starts making passes that he can't make. <laughs> but like, Fred's at his best when he gets the ball and he just moves it to one of the good players. That's what he, that's what, he, when he wins the ball, he looks Bruno, Shaw, Pogba, like, and just slides it to them right away.
0: So if he had Pirlo next to him, he could receive the ball from Maguire, two touch straight to Pirlo, and then Pirlo's looking for Greenwood yeah. or, or Shaw making a bombing run on the left. He's looking for players. But because he doesn't have that, he starts trying to do that himself, I guess is what you're saying. Right.
1: I think he just like gets there. Like when he plays next to Montage, like that's what they're asking him to do. And it just flusters him. Like, and he, and I'll give him credit. Cause he tries, he tries to make those passes. He's just not good enough to do it. And they don't, and the passes don't pull off. And, and then it looks like he's the one that's really bad because he keeps giving the ball away. Um, Whereas, like, if you look at when when Matic first signed with United, like, and United were, the beginning of that season, United were winning a lot uh, in that second season under Mourinho. And if you look at Matic's past map, it was literally just like, and I think also when Solskjaer first took over, like, if you look at Matic's pass map, it's it's basically a one-way street to Paul Pogba. It was like, mm-hmm. they got the ball to Nemanja Matic, and Nemanja, like, went, where's Paul? And looked up and found him. And, like, that that's... The midfielder that United are lacking is that player who can get into a position to receive the ball from your defense and be able to turn and get it to some get it to like the good players because it just drives me nuts. And if you watch it's it's on everybody really, but when United's back four have the ball and they're just passing around, you watch as they finally will pass forward, how often. Does the ball come right back to the to the back four on one or two touches?
0: Yeah, because I guess not only is it difficult to receive the ball with your back to goal, sort of coming deep as a winger, but uh, and then do something. Maybe you could try and spin him and make a run. But not only that, but it's so predictable, right? Like you said, the other team knows that you're going to do that basically because you don't trust your midfielders. So they just go, okay, fine, we'll just we'll just keep an eye on that. We'll leave Fred and McTominay open because you're not going to bastle them anyway. And it's, it means you just got no options, right? But what do you make of the the sort of solutions that are being sounded out there? Because there's a lot of talk about Rice, and then I know these are all just stupid rumors, obviously, but I heard something about their, um, switching their attention to Phillips, Calvin Phillips. Um, do you think either of those would be the solution to come in and do that job?
1: I think either of them are upgrades. I don't like to talk about specific players. Um, and I, I think... West Ham are gonna want an absorbent amount of money for Declan Rice, which they should take. Um, if someone offered mm-hmm. it, they should take it in a second. But I don't know if he's perfect based on on his profile. Like, I don't know if he does that job for for United, and he would do it next to Paul Pogba. The question is. Can Donny von DeBake figure out how to play that position and be able to be a second option to Pogba? Or what happens when Pogba's hurt? Because putting him next to Fred or McTominay, it's going to create the same issues because he isn't really that passer. And I thought I thought Rice's stock really dropped at the Euros because I thought England had a lot of the same problems United have with Rice and Phillips. Was Teams just went, uh, they just kept trying to, send it up the outside with Shaw and, and uh, Walker, et cetera. And like, they just didn't have that presence in the middle to be like, we're going to push this ball forward to Kane and Sterling and and Foden, etc. cetera. How, however much his stock fell in the Euros, he's off to a phenomenal start this year. And it's like, all those things that you were worried about, we don't see them from Declan Rice, we're seeing right now. It's seven games though. So are we going to continue to see that? Or not. And yeah. if we do, then it's we're having a much different conversation next May than if it levels out and he just, you know, returns to form or even just a small uptake on what he used to do. Calvin Phillips is never gonna come from Leeds to to United, so like that's I I am also of the belief, like, just don't shop in the Premier League. The Premier League clubs are not cash strapped. And so when they have a player under contract, they now, which they did not have 10, 15 years ago, the ability to say, uh, no, we're not selling him unless you give us an exorbitant amount of money. It, it's not like 15 years ago where Sir Alex Ferguson can call up Fulham and be like, we want Louis Saha. We'll give you $12 million for him. And they're like, well, that's, you know, that's our operating budget for the next two years, so we'll take that. Like, they, yeah. now they could say, like, oh, that backup striker you want? Like, $40 million.
0: Yep, and they'll charge a premium on English players, too. You're better off going to Barca, where...
1: Right, you could, yeah, you could raid the bank at Barca, <laughs> but go look throughout Europe. There's so many... Play- and, like, this is the thing, is for every every time a big club goes and snatches a player from a small club, the small club manages to replace him quite easily. So, like, the players are out there and you just have to sign them and scout them. And you can't be worried about the reaction of your own fans. Like, you know, if United were to sign no name, French midfielder tomorrow, like fans would be an uproar. Why, why aren't we going out? You know, who the hell is this guy? And I'm sure Twitter would have reacted terribly when they signed Nemanja Vittich because nobody knew who Nemanja Vittich was. And like that's the thing is there are gems out there. Now, you are going to swing and miss on a few, but I, I use uh, poetry. Facundo poetry is like the example. Like, I'd love him to become a United star. Of course I would. I have also don't think he ever will make more than five senior appearances for United. Mm-hmm. And that's fine as they just proved with Dan James like if you sign a young kid like you can flip him for just as much if not more money always resale value always going up so just just sign a bunch of those guys because yeah you're going to swing and miss on a few but if Palestri keeps going on loan and doing enough to impress they sign him for like 8 million you could sell him for 15 yeah, it's a no risk really right sign more of those guys because for all the ones you miss you'll find some good players there so Everybody always says uh, what which midfielder do you want? It's like just look into into the French league where none of those clubs have money and there's so many good midfielders there.
0: Yeah, I mean this is where you know, if if you go and sign, you know, whoever the 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 latest big name centre midfielder from Leicester, you'll just find that six months later they've just brought in another one from Rennes or Lons for one million, who's completely filled that gap and they're playing just as well
1: as they were before. And they've made like a hundred mil. Like that's, that's the other thing is that these clubs are smart and they're like, Oh, well we're going to lose uh Ben Chilwell. So let's bring in a left back now. And then yeah. that no one knows about, and we won't really promote him. And we'll make a big stink that Chilwell left. And then we'll just, he'll just slide in and,
0: and then massive, massive profit. And you're playing pretty much the same way that you were before and achieving the same things. And so it's about the big clubs sort of finding those guys actually first go to the source instead of, buy by the replacement before it gets bought, I guess. Um, but before we before we finish off here and, and move on to a couple of Twitter questions, just briefly, given the sort of weakness in midfield, the Ronaldo conundrum, everything that's going on tactically, um, what do you expect from the season? Um, where do you realistically expect United to finish? What can they realistically compete for? And what would be seen as sort of a a success, a good season for you?
1: I mean, I had this, I had an answer and I had really it all mapped out when the season started. But three weeks into the season, things changed. Um, I didn't, before Ronaldo, before Ronaldo and since Ronaldo have come in, has come in, I did not think that they were going to compete for the title. I thought they had an outside shot if everything broke correctly. Like, Basically, city everything had to fall apart at city, and like Liverpool had to have their injuries and get old, and you know let age affect them because they they are getting a li- they they have a thin squad that is getting up there in age. I don't think Ronaldo changes that. I do think my line at the beginning of the season was United are comfortably one of the four best teams in the league, but if they don't upgrade their midfield, they are going to make finishing in the top four like they're going to make it. They're going to go about it in the most difficult way possible. I, I think they will finish in the top four. I don't think it's going to be like a smooth sailing ride because they have so many issues. And, and because the book's out on them, they need to develop something new. Like, they, they, like I said, they papered over a lot of cracks last year and they found ways to do it. And now teams know, like, are like, oh, okay, this is what they're doing. They know how to stop it. And you've added another element of, of things in there. The good thing is it's only been a month of Ronaldo. They've had matches every three days since, since then you now let your coaches who there are question marks about these coaches. But what I will say is historically they have been very good coming back from international breaks. And when you give them time to prepare for games, they have been very good. They now have a month of data to look around and say, here's, how, what Like, here's what Ronaldo is doing. Here's what Pogba is doing. Here's what, like, how do we get this all into place? And you could start to put those plans into place during the break. You get a free week next month during the League Cup week because you're out of that where you could actually get your whole team onto the training round. The, the question is, is how much does Ronaldo buy into this and say it's about the team and not just about how many Premier League goals you're going to end up scoring? Um, so I do, and, and, you know, maybe you look at what Zidane did and you look at him and say like, Cristiano, we are going to, we've got to limit your chances in the Premier League. We've got to limit how much we're built around you. But in Europe, it's the Cristiano show. You're going to take us to new heights in, in Europe. The heights that we could achieve domestically are going to be what we can achieve, but you're going to carry us over that hill in Europe and and possibly do it. I don't think they win the Champions League. I thought, um, you know, it would have to be, they'd have to really quick into gear and get the right draw along the way, which everybody has to get the right draw along the way. Um, Yeah. But I do think that, I I think they can compete for, if, if they can figure out a way, if they can figure out a way to integrate this entire team together, then they've got the pieces that you could chop and change and keep everybody fresh. And if you're keeping everybody fresh, there's no reason why they can't win the FA Cup. Like When they got eliminated from the League Cup and everybody said that's the easiest trophy to win, and I was like, I don't get why everybody's saying that. City have won the League Cup like six out of the last eight times.
0: Yeah, it's always won by a big team. That's the ironic thing about it. It's very strange. People say that nobody cares, but then like nobody ever wins it who isn't like City or Liverpool right. or... United, or something. United are
1: the last team that wasn't City to win the League Cup. And City have won it like six out of the last eight years, whereas in the FA Cup, it's more games, but you also have a chance of playing two games against non-league teams or two games against, you know, yeah. like it, uh, the draw could be, you, can get a, you, you could get a good draw and just, just like the League Cup, you can get a really bad draw. Um, but at least if you draw City, like you only have to play them once in the semifinal, not twice. So I, I, I think they should be competing for them. They, they have to get out of the group in the champions league, which they should. And I think they will. Um, because again, it, it's, it's been a month of this and now you go back, you look at the data and you, you figure out what we have to do. And that's a lot easier to do when you have a week to just work on this or two weeks to just work on this rather than, okay, West Ham was bad, but we've got to get ready for the League Cup now. Or, okay, the League Cup was about like, you know, we've got um, Aston Villa at the weekend. So we got to prepare for that too. So I'm, I'm more optimistic now that they'll turn things around than I was when this conversation started because you got me thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's good to have some optimism. We'll we'll see what happens. I I think that they'll be up there challenging for things. They might not necessarily win the league or, or the Champions League, but I think that they're in a position to challenge now. And I think that's a that would be a success for most fans, right? Just to be involved, to be heavily involved. I think the title race in the Premier League should be really interesting. I'm hoping it's going to be a four horse race and quite close towards the end. I hope. And um, I think that would be that would be a success, right? Just to to be in and amongst it, don't you think?
1: Yeah, if we're in the trust tree. I'd say yes But you say that And you get attacked Like how, how are we not winning trophies Etc like, and, and yeah it's hard And there is a There is certainly a merit to that But like how people say like Oh Ali hasn't won us a trophy Like therefore is he a bad Like Ali made that comment last year About trophies and like their freer ego As a manager And it was a bad comment for him to make But he was right like, does winning the, the FA Cup make Mikel Arteta a better manager?
0: It looks it looks better coming from him, but it's true.
1: D- d- did winning the FA Cup make Mikel Arteta a better manager? If one of those guys on Villarreal stepped up to the spot and sh- and blasted his penalty over the bar, like, Davide doesn't make a save. He just shoots wide. Does that make Solskjaer a better manager?
0: No, I mean, it's just fine margins, isn't it? But this exactly. is... Like you said, with fans, this is what it's like. It's, you know, how are we not winning stuff? You know, how dare we not win the Premier League? And it's like, well, there's so many variables. It's it's like you spoke about earlier with if Ronaldo's playing in those nil-nil draws against the top six sides, maybe you get a goal and you win them. But also, maybe that happens. But then maybe you lose against Crystal Palace because for some reason or another... Ronaldo playing in that game had a negative effect. and
1: Well, we lose to Crystal Palace anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but maybe, but you're right. Like maybe, maybe we don't get that goal, but maybe because we're not defending as well, we can see the goal and, <laughs> and we lose. The margins are so, are so tight, but it's, it's also, there's definitely a um, difference in attitude between people my age and a little bit younger and people older than me, because people older than me remember the eighties and they remember the seventies where it was barren. And it was like, Hey, if we're lucky, we win the FA cup. And they, they're like me, they want to be entertained and they want to see it positive. They want to show up to the ground saying we've, whether we're playing crystal palace or whether we're playing Manchester city, we can win this match and it's going to be enjoyable and not the dross that Louis van Gaal threw us as opposed to people younger than me uh, and, and probably possibly even my age. Cause you know, like I came around in the era of winning fit feel like, as you said, like United have this divine right to be winning. And it's like, no, like first of all, no team does, but also like United have been around for a hundred years. Three managers have won the league for, you yeah. they did it in like the 1910s. Then they, they did it in the fifties and like once in the sixties, maybe twice, and then not, again, until Sir Alex Ferguson. They've had two sustained periods at the top of English football. That's it. Yeah.
0: A lot of younger fans that are used to winning, not just at United, but at some of these other clubs, you know, Man City, Chelsea, and so on. Like, they probably, not only do they not remember or they haven't looked it up, but they don't know that they could be staring down the barrel of 30 years of nothing. Remember when Liverpool didn't win the title for 30? That, re- that could realistically be what you're living right now. Not to be a downer, right. but who knows? Anything can happen. Man City could win loads of stuff now, and then in ten years, they might begin a period of like four decades where the, people don't seem to realize that it's not. You should enjoy it now because it's not guaranteed.
1: <laughs> if you name like the biggest clubs in the world who have always been historically great. Barcelona is going to sneak onto that list even though they didn't do anything until the 90s. Yep. Like before that, they yes, they had success in La Liga and they like were the number 2 3 team behind Real Madrid and like Atletico, but they weren't this global club and United's biggest strength is they got good at the two exact right times to get good. They got good in the 50s when the European Cup came around and yep. that got their name out in in the and they were really good which Got their name. Uh, people like, you know, you don't need need me to tell you about the Busby Babes and how people in all throughout England loved to go out to when when they came to town. But sending that team around Europe was like the perfect advertisement for English football. And then they got good again in the nineties when the Premier League came around and this global brand took off. Sure. And they became this this huge club. But like again, ask someone. Ask most Americans who became fans when NBC got the rights around 2014, when again, building off of another solid American world cup. Oh, and they'll be like, yeah, Chelsea have always been a good team. Yeah. 25 years ago, Chelsea were not yeah. like, like they, what they had won the league like once and they were not there. Now it's unheard of. Yeah. Of course, Chelsea are the biggest team in the league. Like people will, people are still smart enough to know that like Manchester city or new money, but they, a lot of people consider, like, we'll throw Chelsea into the old money sure. category, and it's like it's
0: all about generations. Exactly. In twenty years' time, Man City will be either sort of, oh, you know, they've always been great, you know, and there'll be a new upstart that has money that they'll they'll be the new. It just keeps rolling like that. But it's one of Sports those are things cyclical. that cyclical. Yeah, exactly, and not only with the money, but just in general, that it goes in cycles with stars of play and coach, some coach could come in. Who knows what could happen? Um, But before we uh, extend ourselves too much here, I want to get into, I want to see if we have any Twitter questions, and then we'll finish off with our quiz. But before we do that, we're going to take one very quick break. And we're back. So, Paulie, we do have one question from Twitter. This could be uh, potentially a follower of yours or a listener or, or a reader of yours over on Substack. You've got mail. Um, But we have a question here from Joseph Losso Legolas. (laughs) And uh, Joseph asks uh, something that we we sort of touched on here, but maybe you could be a little bit more specific. Do you think Oli has reached his ceiling in terms of moving the team forward?
1: Yes and no. I think that's a popular thing to say at the beginning of every season like we've been hearing it for years uh, last year that when the team lost to Arsenal and Basak Shahir and everybody said he's reached his ceiling and it was like, okay. And then he went and finished above why like, he finished with 70 something points after finishing with 66 points and he took him the second place and he clearly continued to got bet to get better. We, you don't know someone is at their ceiling until the end. If we go back and say, and United finished with 66 points this year, Uh, Or 70 points this year, and then that might be enough to get him sacked. And it could be a blip on the radar if he comes back the if he doesn't get sacked and he comes back the following year and finishes with 85 points, it's a blip. If he comes back the following year and finishes with 68 points, then you could probably say, yeah, 74 points might have been his ceiling, or probably is his ceiling. Um, You don't know, and he has continued throughout his tenure to build on what he has done. But I do think it's going to be awfully hard for him to do that because he failed to address the best need in his his team, and it's going to keep rearing its ugly head week after week.
0: Well, we'll have to wait and see on that to see what happens this year. But before we get out of here, we're going to take a trip back to some of the more glorious periods in United history by finishing off with our little quiz that we like to call Do You Know Your Heroes? are eight questions um we did have a person a couple of weeks ago who got all eight so no pressure but uh what's the average score i'd say about five yeah five is probably about the average five or six
1: how many of these um, people are from the uk though
0: like oh yeah well that's the thing some of them are some of them are from i've done a few with guys from the states as well
1: oh is there an american curve i'm i should i am very very good at sports history at and stuff and very good at trivia but you're making me nervous
0: no i think you're going to be just fine really i think a lot of these are really sort of they're, they're they're you know united fanatic um common knowledge i think but we'll see so question number one is which player has made the most appearances for the club in competitive matches gigs correct i don't suppose you know how many you get the point anyway but i don't suppose you know how many
1: oh it's it's either 700 something or 900 something and one of them might be the league total and might, one might be all competitions.
0: Yeah, the, the one you said first is the league total and the second one you said is all competitions and we're doing all competitions. So,
1: Oh! Uh, all comp- It's like 961. Oh, so close, dude. 963.
0: Very close. Oh! But don't worry, you got the point for Ryan Giggs anyway. We're one for one. So, Ryan Giggs, between 1991 and 2014, made 963 competitive appearances for the club. Who holds the club's record for the most league goals scored in a single 38-game league season?
1: Ronaldo?
0: Correct. That's two for two. I don't suppose you know which season and how many goals?
1: It was 7-8. Correct. 7-8. 42 goals in all competitions. 31 in the Premier League.
0: Very good. Correct. 31 league goals in 2007-2008. But you have the point anyway, because we just need a name. Again, we just need a name here. Who holds the record for the most consecutive league matches with a goal?
1: Most consecutive league matches with a goal. I'm going to go with my gut and not change the answer to the other one that I'm thinking. I'm going to go with Van Persie.
0: Oh, so close. Another great Dutchman. Uh, That's who I was
1: going to change to.
0: Who I can't believe we didn't give a mention until just now. First mention for Van Nistelrooy. What a player. 10. He he, uh, scored a goal in 10 consecutive matches.
1: Oh, right, because Vardy broke his record. Yeah,
0: exactly. Vardy broke the record. Between March and August 2003, he scored in 10 consecutive league matches. Again, we just need a name on question four. Who was the first player to win the Ballon d'Or? while playing for Manchester United. This one's going a little bit further back
1: in time. I feel like the while playing for Manchester United is like a curveball.
0: Yeah, so just, I mean, the, there were a lot of great players in this era back in the
1: the day. Was it Bobby Charlton?
0: It was not, but I could see why you would think so. Apparently, it was Dennis Law. This is from my oh! research, obviously. I don't have these. This is my
1: third guess. <laughs> yeah,
0: it could have been any any, any of the guys from that, that great era, right? And in 1964, apparently he was the first one. To actually to actually win that award, um, but which player earned the most international caps while playing for Manchester United?
1: So now I'm going to go with Bobby Charlton.
0: Correct. He made 106 caps for England while being a Man United player. So that means we are three for five so far. This next one's quite fun, and I threw this one in there because um, you're an American, and uh, not that this player is an American, but it's just something that you maybe will find interesting. Who is the only player to have won the CONCACAF Gold Cup while being a Manchester United player?
1: Oh, okay. While being a Manchester United player, it's... It's got to be Chicharito.
0: Correct, it is. Javier Chicharito Hernandez won the Gold Cup in 2011 while playing for Mexico, and he was, at that time, a Manchester United player. So we're four for six, two left. Um... According to statistics from the Premier League, which player missed the most big chances for United last season? So this is the the metric that they have on their website of big chances missed last season. Who did that for United the most? This is according to the Premier League, so don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) Rashford. Very good. I thought that was a tough one, honestly. I I couldn't have have named that for, for anyone myself. Really good. I don't suppose you could have a guess at how many he apparently missed. 11. Very good. I can't believe you got stats correct. Wow, that's the right answer? Yeah, it's correct. Wow. I not believe <laughs> that is really good. Because uh, I have to be honest, too. I feel like some of the, the first few ones have been kind of consistent with what everyone answers. But there were a couple of curveballs in here that I don't normally ask. Obviously, the CONCACAF Gold Cup one and this one. About the big chances mixed, missed, I thought I'd mix it up a little bit, and I thought that would be a real tough one. Well,
1: you got to think like who gets on the end of the most chances.
0: Yeah, it's it's not nece- it's one of those things that will be thrown at someone as a as sort of um, a negative, but it's not necessarily a negative. This final question we do um, do with every guest, apart from of course England. Which nation is best represented in the current first team squad at Old Trafford? So, of course, the majority of players are English. Which country or countries? Is the second place?
1: Um, this
0: one is always really tough, to be honest. I'm trying to
1: do some mental math here. Oh, there! Are, ooh.
0: Okay. I'll give you a clue and say that there are two. Okay, oh,
1: okay. So there's Portugal and France.
0: Very good. Who are the players?
1: I was like, there's three each. I was like, there's three each. You have Fernandez, Ronaldo, and Deloitte from Portugal, and then Varane, Martial, Pogba from France. I was That's just trying it? to make sure there wasn't a fourth for either of them. Correct.
0: So six out of eight, which is above average, I would say.
1: Nice. All right.
0: Not too bad at all, man. Very good. Um, okay. So, Paulie, thanks so, so much for coming on. We actually went a little bit longer than we usually do because it's just been so interesting to talk to you. So. Sorry for taking up so much of your time. But oh,
1: my pleasure.
0: I, well, thank thank you again so much. Before we go, could you sort of tell the listeners where they can find your stuff, whether it's on various publications or I know you have your own sub as well. I'm sure they would be really interested to read your insights.
1: Yeah, um, most of my stuff gets posted on com, And I do have my own sub stack. It's questthoughts.substack.com. That's k w e s t t h o u G H T S dot It's probably the first time I've ever had to verbally spell thoughts. Um, Nailed it. <laughs> uh, and then everything, when I do write on that, it'll be sent right into your, to your inbox. Uh, I do work a little bit more than I was during COVID. So it's not used as heavily. So don't worry about getting spammed. Um, but otherwise the busby or you can go follow me on Twitter at pquestel
0: thanks so much paulie it's been a pleasure i urge everyone who's listening to go and check out that stuff if you've enjoyed what you've heard today you're definitely going to enjoy what you read thanks again so much paulie good luck for the season hopefully that optimism will keep going for a few more weeks at least and hopefully you'll get what you want come the end of the season
1: from from your lips to god's ears
0: (laughs) thanks buddy real pleasure see you later If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a five-star review. We can't tell you how much that would help us to grow. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend, either online or offline. Word of mouth really helps us out a lot. Head to sportacost.com for live streams, data, statistics, and much more from the world of football. You can also follow us on Twitter at sportacostcom. You can follow myself at Craig Sporticos. We also love to read out the thoughts and questions of our listeners so please feel free to tweet those to me anytime or send us an email to show at sportacost.com with your opinions or your questions. Thanks again to Paulie for coming on to speak to us today. Thanks so much to you for listening and see you on the next episode of the Sportacost Football Stories Podcast.
1: network Psst, boss, have you heard about the beef between Karen and Jen? It's me, Nathan's famous, I'm the beef. <laughs> and yeah, I'm a talking hot dog, what's it to you? Nathan's famous, made with 100% beef for a real bite of New York.